Hey, one more thing before you go. Hi, everybody. It's Michael Hurst, your host and producer of One More Thing Before You Go podcast and all related activity. Hey, listen, today's episode is going to be a favorite Friday episode. I am getting ready for the launch next week of uh, YouTube and the YouTube channel and some other various things that are really going to help improve what we bring you from One More Thing Before You Go. So in that effort, I want to give you one of my favorite episodes with Leo York. It's that thing about the 13th floor. It's a really fascinating episode. We're going to talk to him again during this new launch in the new channel with uh, YouTube. We're still here. We're not going anywhere. We're still going to be on this platform. We're still going to be on Amazon and Google and Apple and everywhere else. But we're expanding our network to include YouTube. So not only can you see, not only can you hear, but you can see the podcast if you want to. So in that regard, I am presenting one more time for my favorite Friday episode, that thing about the 13th floor. Have you ever wondered what if zombies were real? Whether or not your next door neighbor might be a witch? How about the notion that aliens live among us? We're going to answer these questions and more when we talk to a unique individual that has explored each and every one of these unique questions. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About the 13th Floor. My guest today is James Leo York. He's a Kentucky copywriter who focuses on screenplays that build brands. He popularized the use of evolutionary behavior in marketing, and makes promotional content for the Adventures Network of Kentucky. In writing circles, he's known as Leo, but his listeners know him. He's known as Leo, but the listeners of his podcast, The 13th Floor, know him as James. We're going to have a conversation with both of him. So welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in southeastern Kentucky, and uh, it's it's really interesting, Kentucky itself. It's kind of, people have even joked that it's the schizoid state, because uh, the west is very western, and the southeast is very southern and Appalachian, and then the central part's more like the Midwest. So I currently live in Lexington. It's only 60 miles north of where I was born, but culturally, it's like being, you know, more like Ohio, whereas where I'm from is more like West Virginia, Tennessee. So they're they're pretty different despite being very close. Yeah, that's kind of cool, actually. Kind of yeah. that's really kind of unique. Thanks. Um, I was born in West Virginia, but I grew up all of my life in Colorado. Ah. And then we moved down to this hot, hot, hot place called Arizona. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've I've been in Kentucky my whole life, uh, but yeah, the southeast part it's it's very different. There's. Uh, there's almost like uh, the same class levels that you would see in feudalism, where there's there's people who are very wealthy and there's people who are uh, go to bed hungry at night. It's it's that different, and the middle class oh. is much smaller. Whereas in the central part of the state, it's a lot more like you know Ohio. You guys have a county in Kentucky, I believe, that is named after one of my relatives. Trigg oh. County. Trigg County. Trigg County. Trying to place it. There's like 108 counties. <laughs> so forgive me if I can't recall. That's okay. He was a uh, union colonel and yeah. um, went on to work in the government somehow. And he had all the money. We don't. Ah, I got you. You know, it's actually a naming of things in Kentucky. That's actually why I go by Leo so much um, is because my family tree is just saturated with Jameses. And the reason for that is the Ulster Scots and, and the, the British that came over like 400 years ago, and they didn't get any newspapers from England. So they just we kept naming their kids after whoever the king was when they moved. So when my ancestors came here, I guess uh, James II was in charge. And so they just kept naming their kids James over and over again. <laughs> so, That's yeah, I've got grandparents, my dad, uh, an uncle, a cousin. It's just insane how many Jameses are in my family tree. Wow, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I went up to some genealogy. I kind of saw where 
it seemed like everybody, so why are you using the same names throughout the rest of the family? It's the same name, it's the same name, it's the same name. I've never heard that analogy. So you just opened my eyes on something. Ah, good deal. Yeah, that's the deal. And you can tell who came here a little more recent because they named their kids after King George. So if you ever meet a Kentucky family with tons of Georges, that's why. <laughs> did you uh, go to university? I did. I went to the University of Kentucky and I double majored in uh, biology and English, which is a little bit of an odd combo. And that's part of why I like to use uh, evolutionary behavior in my copywriting. That's really interesting, actually. Um Speaking of copyright, when you when you are copywriting or talking about creepy things, what do you do kind of past your time? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's it's funny. Biology is a passion even in terms of hobbies and creepy things are a passion even in hobbies. So I have uh, several tarantulas and raising them has been really fun. And it's, it's wonderful to watch them grow because unlike a lot of animals, they don't grow slowly. They grow in these big bursts where they molt and, you know, they're they're one size one day and the next day they're bigger. Well, I have respect for you because I have, uh, in my law enforcement career, I've arrested two of America's most wanted. I've uh, fought guys that were uh, like two feet taller than me, and uh, my wife has to kill the spiders. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, no, go in that building, go in the burning building, go in that dark building, okay. Spider, no. Uh, yeah, That's nothing like that uh, scares me. Um, in fact, I, I'd never or I try not to kill any invertebrate that gets in, bit of an armchair entomologist. And uh, I had a uh, rock centipede get in my house, and it's too cold to take it outside now. So I just put it in a jar and named it Lithy, Lithy being like lith meaning rock. It's a rock centipede. And about 30 minutes before I got on here with you, I discovered that she had babies. So now I have a bunch of baby centipedes, and I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. No, my wife, in my wife's defense, I need to tell you, she usually takes him outside. Uh, she doesn't well, smash him. She takes him outside. She wouldn't let me shoot him, so. <laughs> Good deal. So I know you write screenplays, because um, we talked about that in some of our other conversations personally. So what kind of screenplays do you write? Uh, different genres. Of, it's been several horror, and the first one I ever wrote was uh, a Western. And that's what got me into it. Um, it's actually how me and my friends met. We met in a screenwriting class, uh, Marksbury, at University of Kentucky. And we uh, had to write a screenplay in order to pass the class. And mine was a Western. And people really liked it. And just that feedback sort of it put me down the rabbit hole of, well, this is something I really like doing. So I've written horror, sci-fi, Western, everything except drama. What, what do you... Like what got you, uh, what got you interested in? What do you like best about it? I think the most fun thing about it, I like having a lot of people, you know, who are creative, they, they get irritated by limitations, you know, don't censor me, don't, don't stifle me. But I really like having limitations. It's one of the reasons I like poetry is because it's like, oh, I'm going to write a sonnet today. That means I have to write it within this format. And what's nice about screenplays is they, because they are somewhat formulaic, you know, it's, there's a danger of getting too formulaic, but because they do follow a formula, it makes it really nice because there's already a skeleton for you to sort of put the, the muscles on. Yeah, that, yeah, I agree with that. You, and, and obviously Scorsese's gotten away with writing three-hour screenplay. <laughs> Typically, that's not done. You and exactly. I have uh, you and I have some uh, mutual interest in that arena. So I, you know, some of my listeners know this, but I have had a screenwriting career myself, and I put on uh, screenwriting conferences in Las Vegas for about five years, where we brought anybody and everybody that had written a screenplay and gotten it produced out, and they taught others how to pitch, you know, get That's produced. Awesome. Um, everything about screenplay from the bottom up, so it was pretty cool, actually. Um, I love writing screenplays. I just kind of put mine in a drawer for a little while. Mm. That's so, understandable. Part of your screenplay is you, you build a brand. Tell me how that works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, I, when I'm copywriting a screenplay and, you know, that transition was also really natural. Um, I didn't, you know, I got out of college during the recession of 2008. <laughs> a lot of things didn't uh, survive and, and finding a job was hard. 
And I was writing articles, just regular articles uh, for, you know, Cracked and Dirt and, you know, just online uh, magazines and whatnot. And I sort of just stumbled across a book by another Leo, Leo Burnett, about writing copy. And when I read it, it just clicked like, oh, my God, I can do screenplays and commercials and, you know, earn money that way. So I started writing uh, screenplays for, you know, local clients and it just sort of snowballed from there. Uh, But when it comes to building a brand with a screenplay, you know, I I don't have to tell you this. With a screenplay, you can only use two senses. You know, you've got vision and you've got uh, sound and anything else is a lot harder to convey. Well, that works out really well for branding, because when I think of branding, I think of sort of like uh, a Rorschach test. What three words would describe a company? And then how can we integrate that into an audiovisual or an audio only format? That's amazing. That's brilliant, actually. Thank you. Yeah, it's really brilliant. Right. Um, is that how you help the Inventors Network of Kentucky? It's it's one of the ways. It's it's usually less script based though. Most of the time, that's dealing with uh, emails and uh, crafting emails, and then crafting sales sheets and showcasing things like that for inventors. Because for inventors, they are the business. You know, they're trying to sell what they've come up with. A lot of times to licensors and sometimes to customers. And so it's like, well, what 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 problem does your invention solve, and and how would you condense that into say three words? So most of your, that would be more copywriting then, I'm assuming, than it would yeah, be screenwriting? Yeah, it, it leans more on the, the copy side, absolutely. So the you like writing television commercials and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's my favorite form of copy to write easily. Um, if I could just write scripts in terms of copy, that would be perfectly fine with me. Don't mind making brochures, don't mind making billboards, but uh, scripts are my absolute favorite. That works. I like that. Thank you. Speaking of scripts, I know you don't have one for that, but I know you co-host a podcast called The 13th Floor. Mm. You co-host it with uh, two other people, Alex Cornett and Cece Cornett. Yep, that's right. So what's your podcast about? Well, we got together one day and we were discussing things that we were passionate about. And to my absolute surprise, it turns out, despite the fact that I'd known them for like eight years up to that point, that they also really had a passion for conspiracy theories and paranormal stuff. It's just one of those things that doesn't come up in conversation. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it is because people who are passionate about it and want to learn about it, they're not just walking around asking people, say, what's your thoughts on Bigfoot? So it's sort of an outlet there for, for people to learn more about things like that that are not normally talked about at Starbucks or, or in school or anything like that. Is that, whose idea was it first to start a podcast? It was originally CeCe's idea. Did you go to school with these guys? I know you said you'd known them for eight years. What kind of business were they in prior to um, the podcast conspiracy? Uh, Well, we met at the screenwriting class that, uh, really got me into screenwriting period. It was a really important class of like in the sense that I look at all the other courses I took in college and that's the one that stands out because I met some of my closest friends. I found one of my life's passions and uh, they, for example, they have a a baby. They met in that class, you know, they're married and they have a child and they met in that class. Um, And so Cece does photography and she also works for a, uh, a tech company and she has a degree in communications. She used to work at a local news station up uh, to a certain point, and then they moved to Georgia. Uh, and Alex, has uh, he's a man of many talents, and he's done many different things. Currently, one of his uh, passions is uh, real estate, being oh, a realtor, right. rather. Yeah. A realtor from there. So does he get to see any haunted houses you guys can talk about in there? Oh, you know what? That'd be wonderful if he did. Uh, he needs to ask uh, around more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been lucky enough to have some uh, quite, quite, uh, some quite interesting conversations with people that were paranormal investigators on my uh, podcast. And um, if you haven't heard them, anybody out there listening, you should go back and check them out. But mm-hmm. they, uh, some really interesting stories firsthand. Number one, and and then uh, some other unique experiences they had. Most of them 
were situated between like uh, Kentucky, Missouri, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, Tennessee, especially Tennessee. Uh, it's amazing, amazing stories, yeah. actually. So you know, I've noticed, know. I've noticed a pattern there, actually. Uh, I think people are more open, and I'm not trying to be sweepingly uh, stereotypical, but I think people are more open to paranormal things in the South uh, because it's sort of seen as more like a daily part of life. It's not an unusual thing for a ghost to be in a house. It's it's mundane. It's like saying there's a toaster in a house. You know, everybody knows somebody who has a ghost in their house. I grew up with a poltergeist in my house and CC had a ghost in her house. And that's one of the things we had in common and got us interested in the paranormal, turns out. So you guys believe in, you believe in ghosts? Yeah. Sort of the way our, our shtick works, and it's it's mostly accurate, is that uh, CC is on the fence about a lot of things, but believes in a lot. Alex is 100% skeptical, and I tend to accept just about anything, no matter how outlandish. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if any if anybody in your group is a, a skeptic of yep. all of, because you guys cover a lot of you know a lot of things that you've covered. I I've listened to a good portion of your uh, program. You, thank you. Like, do you mind if we talk about a couple of those episodes? Oh, sure, absolutely. Okay, you guys talk about in one of them. A verify phenomena like Haitian zombies. <laughs> yep, so absolutely. How you? Whose idea was? Whose idea was it to talk about Haitian zombies? Uh, you know, that's one of my favorite things about our podcast. Actually, a hundred percent of our episodes are uh, requested by listeners, and most of the time, when it happens, we 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 draw it from a vase, so it's random which episodes we cover. But sometimes we'll get a request and I'm like, oh, God, I hope that gets drawn soon. And zombies for me was a big one because it's something that I've studied extensively and been passionate about for a long time. Uh, Not because of the pop culture zombies, but because voodoo is such a very old and complicated religious system. And it's it's nuts to think that they're 100 percent real. Zombies are 100 percent real in the context of voodoo. Well, well, and you guys aren't that far from. um... New Orleans, which yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, that's a prevalent belief in New Orleans. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's another thing. It's it's funny you say that. I think that's part of why the South is also more open to supernatural things is the syncretism of different beliefs. Um, a lot of African folk beliefs and Celtic uh, pre-Christian folk beliefs really permeate Southern culture to a degree that you're not going to see too many other places outside the Caribbean. In the South. Yeah, that and that's interesting. I also, um, in some of the conversations that I've had for some paranormal investigators that did everything from mostly the South and then a little bit in the Virginia area, um, any place that the Civil War fought. Absolutely. Had an extraordinary amount of individuals that had um, passed on in a very violent, unnatural way and um, were able to still kind of walk the earth or communicate. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they, yeah. you know, they were kind of lost, I guess. Yeah. Sites of violent conflict. Uh, the way I think of it, and this is purely speculative, but it's kind of like how the greater mass an object has, the uh, the harder the pull of gravitational forces are. Well, I think the more uh, psychically or mentally or emotionally uh, intense an event was, the longer those ripples sort of echo throughout uh, uh, the present. I agree with that. I agree with that. How did you um, do the research for something like Haitian zombies? Um, a lot of it, and Cece's very quick to point this out, uh, <laughs> is uh, most of the time I don't do a lot of research. It's just stuff that I've already been passionate about. But for some things, I'll go back on stuff. And a great example of that would be zombies, because um, I wish I could think of the fella's name. But the author of The Serpent and the Rainbow, really fascinating dude, um, he has researched from uh, an Ivy League background all these uh, rituals and, and, and concepts firsthand. I mean, really almost Indiana Jones-like person. Uh, and reading a short little article by him in National Geographic, by chance, in a waiting room when I was like a kid waiting to go to see the dentist, just it was at the beginning of a rabbit hole where, I mean, I just had to learn more about this guy and I had to learn more about his experiences. And because he 
was really the first Westerner to chronicle zombification and, and, and voodoo from not from a stuffy like perch where it's like, oh, yes, the, the heathen, uh, they're, they're very prone to, to this sort of behavior because they think, you know, he would get right in the thick of it, take part in rituals and write down what he saw and felt and experienced. And uh, that was that was a big um, source for me was reading up on anything that he wrote prior to recording the zombies episode. That's, that's um, interesting. His name is Wade. There we go. Wade Davis. Wade Davis. Yeah. Serpent in the Rainbow. Phenomenal, fascinating guy. And uh, Wes Craven did a movie about it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Serpent in the Rainbow. They, they kept the title of his book. I actually haven't seen the film, though. Uh, yeah. It's, I'm not sure where you can see it, but um, I'm familiar with the Serpent in the Rainbow being made into the movie. Uh, I just didn't know it had been a book prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. And a really interesting one at that. That's pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. So what you guys also talk about stuff, I, um, and like you said earlier, when you first were uh, describing the podcast, you have, you talk about conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Tell me, if you will, please, or help us to understand what donut earth theory is. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes I, I try to be devil's advocate because, you know, my role is supposed to always believe in things, but sometimes you just can't because it's well, too well, outlandish. And I got to ask you about this because obviously as I'm a, I'm a cop, right? Uh -huh. Donut. <laughs> so I had to ask you about this. Right. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Donut earth theory is one of the more bizarre uh, non-spherical earth theories. And thankfully, and, and I do tend to believe this. Thankfully, a lot of people think it's a thought experiment. And I'm inclined to agree, but there are still people who didn't interpret it that way. And they 100% think that the earth uh, is a, just a big tarn shape object. I mean, yeah, dead center, there's there's the sun. So it's imagine a donut with the sun in the middle and you've you've got the earth. <laughs> Holy smokes. That's yeah. crazy. That's, that's almost more bizarre than the, uh, the flat earth theory. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways it's better simply because it did start off as a thought experiment, whether it's flat earthers, that's a hundred percent just refusing to accept that, uh, that the earth is a sphere. And it stems largely from a very, very fastidious and narrow interpretation of uh, ancient religious doctrine that posits that the earth is flat. And that's all, that's all it is. It's literally, they're trying to prove a negative. And so, uh, there's all these arguments. Uh, one that Alex covered when we talked about Flat Earth was uh, there are people, no joke, who insist that if you go to the other side of the Earth, you will come back on the other end, just like if it was a sphere. But not because it's a sphere, but rather because of dark energy teleporting you from one side to the other, like the maze in Pac-Man, when you go from one gap to the other. Wow. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go back. You say you have an episode in your, you've reached your hundredth episode, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so it's, I'll have to go back and listen to that one. That's uh, got me kind of perplexed. I'll have to listen <laughs> to that and the donut theory one. Because mm. I kind of really, um, I just had to ask. I'm sorry. Um, just, no, absolutely. I, I'm glad you did. <laughs> so on some of you, some, what are some of the other things? Let me try this again. The value of editing. No, <laughs> You talk about conspiracy theories and things like that. What are some of the conspiracy theory things that you talk about? And are those also something that somebody suggests to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every conspiracy theory is also requested. And some of them are really outlandish. And some of them are very plausible. And some of them are hard to even dismiss as conspiracies. Um, uh, one big example. I mean, we know now, now that it's been declassified, that... Uh, uh, MK Ultra was 100% real. The, the CIA did experiment on people's minds using um, mind-altering compounds. And there even are instances of CIA agents being assassinated using these compounds in order to cover it up further. We know this. That's not a theory anymore. Wow, I've not heard of that theory, actually. Do you guys talk about, on, about that in any one of your... We, we do. Yeah. Yeah. MK Ultra was really tough to record. Uh, we, we try to be lighthearted. And now that we're rolling out of Patreon, we're going to cover more heavy stuff. 
But, you know, Cece in particular, she really doesn't like dark things. She doesn't watch horror movies. And so when we get into the, some of the nitty gritty of the really morbid things that happened for sure, like MK Ultra, it, it can be trying. Yeah, I would imagine. Do you guys also talk about, um, like, I know you said earlier, Bigfoot walking around. Do mm -hmm. you have any, any of your episodes talk about Bigfoot and what's your belief in it? We, we do. We touch on Bigfoot a couple of times. I don't think we have a single episode devoted to him, which should happen. I mean, we just, it's a question of drawing it from the vase. But uh, uh, that's, it's funny you should say that because that's sort of Alex's passion. Alex is really into like kaiju and monsters and things like that, King Kong. And so Bigfoot is just a natural uh, fixation for him. He really is interested in Bigfoot and he wants Bigfoot to be real, even though he's not so sure. But, uh, yeah, Bigfoot's an interesting idea because it is totally plausible. It's just then when you couple it with so many weird sightings where it gets less plausible when you hear the the eyewitness accounts, uh, that that's where it sort of gets murky. Uh, you might tell Alex the um, we watched my wife and I watched a uh, a documentary on I think it was on Prime Amazon Prime. And part of that documentary was the idea that uh, Bigfoot and the Bigfoot species were actually aliens from another uh, planet. That's the reason they you see them for short periods of time. That's one of just, Alex's arguments uh, yeah, that he they had just to make. So yeah. yeah, that's why they're yeah. gone because they they are, they either beam back up or they're they're taken back to their ship or whatever the case may be. They're big Chewbaccas. Maybe that's where. Uh, <laughs> That's where Lucas got it in his mind, right? Yeah. No, that's that's something that he's actually tried to argue for. Uh, not not wholly seriously, but, you know, he's presented arguments for Bigfoot. And one of them is that he's an alien. And one of them that is that he's a pan-dimensional being. And my absolute favorite is that he's just a big, hairy angel, like literally a, an angel from heaven who just sometimes messes with people. <laughs> not, not down here to ring any bells. <laughs> exactly. Hi, this is Michael Hurst, your host and producer of One More Thing Before You Go. I have some exciting news that I'm going to release in the next couple of days. This will allow you to become more immersed in the One More Thing Before You Go family. We are growing and expanding. It's fantastic. It's great. We have some amazing developments, a chance for you to join the conversation, become part of the show, and help us grow together. We have a new app on iOS and Google Play Store that we're excited for you to go download for free. Take one more thing before you go anywhere you go. Get updated instantly whenever an episode comes out. Read the blog. Get involved. Join our elite membership club, which we'll talk about in the next couple of days. Register for a free account. You can do it right on the app. I can't wait to tell you the fantastic changes that are coming your way. It's going to help us stay more connected and grow the one more thing before you go family. So join the conversation. So do you believe in UFOs? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was a kid, I actually saw a UFO and it was unmistakably just that, like it was beautiful. It looked like a seashell made out of mercury. That's amazing. Thank you. Did you yeah. see that while you were in Kentucky? I did. You know, Arizona is one of the hot spots for for um, UFO sightings Absolutely. and for that kind of those kind of things. My wife and I are still waiting. We've been waiting for fifteen years now. We keep putting a sign out back saying you can stop here if you want to. <laughs> Haven't done it yet. I uh, I also when I was about uh, fifteen years old, I also saw one. Oh, so awesome. I believe it. Yeah, I believe in them wholeheartedly. I think that anybody that does not think that uh, we're the possibility exists that there's other intelligent life in the masses of the universe that we have. I think that they need to reevaluate the way they think Agreed. about life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's something solipsistic about thinking that we're alone. Um, so you guys also talk about uh, not only UFOs, but you also talk about the occult and the paranormal as well. We do. Yeah, uh, that's that's a particular interest of mine. Um, my grandpa was sort of a backwoods sorcerer. They call it root work. Um, here's a fun fact about him. 
uh, when my dad was about three or so, he was a very sickly child. And so my grandpa did some sort of magic thing to him. Uh, I know it involved burlap and chickens, and it was to prevent him from getting chicken pox. Well, he ended up having five kids uh, with chicken pox and a wife who currently has shingles. He has never had chicken pox or shingles despite that. Wow. Yeah. So That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming something passed down from his elders? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how all of that worked detail-wise. And similarly, my mom's mom would also practice some peculiar things because she was the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter. So like if a baby had thrush or croup or some sort of uh, illness, she was expected, no joke, to blow in the kid's mouth. That was what she did. Mm. And to cure it, that was, a, so again, root work, backwoods magic type stuff. Yeah, that's, well, that's interesting, actually. Um, do you believe in the fairies and the witches like, from another perspective? Uh, yeah, I do think that it's possible that there are beings that are not uh, observable in terms of a material sense. Now, as for witches, they're definitely real if you open the uh, definition to, of witchcraft to include any kind of ritual. I mean, heck, I can introduce you to, to one. <laughs> but uh, but in terms of whether magic is real or not, I'm not sure. I, I think that it's a fascinating concept, and I think there is some degree of evidence for it. In fact, uh, I, I don't know this person, so I'm going to plug a podcast that's not just because I like it. But I think uh, Gordon White's Rune Soup is a fascinating take on magic from uh, the perspective of someone who practices it and wholeheartedly believes in it but makes arguments for it that aren't, you know, woo-woo or outlandish or, you know, they don't scream crystal therapy. They're, they're very interesting arguments for it. That's pretty cool. What podcast is that again? Uh, Rune Soup. Are you in soup? Are you in E? Soup. Blah. Are you in E? Like the runes, that when they used to read the runes. Exactly. That's interesting. Do you have any, do you have any episodes that uh, you would recommend the listeners uh, our listeners to for your podcast to kind of to talk about that. Uh, let's see. You know, the ones where we chronicle witches, historical witches, uh, is interesting. Um, the Witch of Wall Street, in particular, I talk about, uh, uh, oh my God, Rasputin. I almost said Nostradamus for some reason. Uh, Rasputin. And there is no doubt in my mind that Rasputin had gifts. Now, whether those gifts were paranormal or whether those gifts were simply uh, so unique that it's hard to recognize them as a material gift, the way you would say someone who's athletic or, or naturally good at you know archery or something, uh, I don't know. But he definitely just, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you'll know that he was plugged into something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of that, of that episode, actually, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, good deal. The... Um, so in the, in all of your podcasts wouldn't matter which ones they end up doing you obviously do you guys divide up the work as to any it's only one person do that let me try that again no worries i've been out of the i've been out of the interview game for about four weeks because i've been doing all this stuff to get ready for that surgery oh. but i can Cut all this out. <laughs> so in any of your episodes, um, do you bring any guests on that have experienced any of these things firsthand? Uh, you know, we've, we've had a few guests, but none of them have had anything particular happen to them. By, by and large, when we invite a guest on, it's because... They're really passionate about a particular topic, and it's usually something that they've either studied or they just find fascinating. Um, so, yeah, so far, no. But for the Patreon episodes, we are going to be interviewing a lot of peculiar people, including an exorcist and a sorcerer, uh, two different people. Well, that sounds that, but that sounds actually really interesting. Oh, thank I'm you. Have, as soon as you get your Patreon up, you need to let me know so we can will do. kind of get involved <laughs> in that because I like to... Uh, explore those options. Absolutely. Um, you had already told me a little bit ago that you had uh, a couple of people, were you in, I think you said 
Did you say Alex or Cece had the ghost experience when you were? Ah, uh, Cece. Cece. So both of you guys had experiences with the ghost and you've had experience with the UFO. Has there been any other unusual experiences you guys have had that contributed to what you present? Definitely. Uh, the biggest one, easily for me at least, uh, when I was little, I would experience something very strange. And let me preface this by saying that from a skeptical standpoint, I do experience sleep paralysis. And there's a commonality between people who experience sleep paralysis and people who see what are called shadow people. But I've seen this uh, during my waking life growing up. I was antagonized when I was very young by something that I could only describe as, as a concrete shadow, uh, something that's blacker than black and yet uh, appears physical. It's not, it's not like just a shadow itself. It's not two-dimensional. Um, and it would play the piano. We had a piano in our, our house, and it would, when nobody else was around, if I was home alone, it would play Moonlight Sonata or um, for Elise. Now, one, that's not something a six-year-old or a five-year-old or a seven-year-old would hallucinate. And two, both of those are Beethoven songs. I had no way of knowing that. But I had sort of just put that in the back of my head growing up as just, oh, I just was a weird kid with an imaginary friend who wasn't very friendly. That must have been the deal. Uh, but then fast forward to my college years, I heard a radio program and they were talking about shadow people. And it blew my mind because this was something I'd put in the back burner of my hippocampus. And here they are talking about these experiences and they're just like what I had experienced identical. That's amazing. Did anybody else in your family see those shadow? No, none. Uh, it would only happen when I was alone, uh, which is really creepy now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> were these people, were these shadow figures, um, like, were they negative or mean to you? Were they somebody that couldn't have been a relative maybe checking on you? Hands down, they were malicious and hands down, they weren't a, they weren't people. You know, I mean, the, the word people in the, the term shadow people is a loose term. Uh, they're humanoid, but they're definitely not ghosts and they're definitely not uh, living people. Well, I believe in demons. So mm. it's one of those things where I think they're a cross between a demon and a, and who knows what. That's yeah. From my own personal experience. They're, they're definitely malicious. You know, it's funny that the exorcist that I know, uh, that's that's sort of his criteria when you're when you're discussing something. Well, what makes something a demon? Well, if it's a spirit and it's malicious, it could probably fall under that term. Yeah, I was, um, when I was really, really young, I got backed up against the wall by one and it wasn't a dream and it wasn't, it was very, very real and it was uh, very frightening and it was very intimidating and it stuck with me all of my life. So wow. I could draw you a picture of it. It's that vivid to me. Wow. And ironically enough, when I was interviewing, um, I know this is about you, but no, this is remarkable that you've had this experience too. I'm amazed that that's, okay. that's not a common thing. No, it. Um, I was. I had a conversation with uh, the Laura Michelle Powers, and she is a, a famous psychic, actually. Mm. And the conversation we were having with her during that conversation, we were talking about um, demons, and we were talking about dark angels. And she mentioned that there are dark angels that mm. that. They're, they're fallen angels, but they haven't necessarily been expressed to hell, so they're kind of in between. Interesting. But they're here, yeah, they're here to cause negativity and to cause issues. And um, ironically enough, I mean, I don't know if you guys have, uh, edit your own episodes. I edit my own episodes. CC edits our episodes. Thank you, CC. by the way. <laughs> Admirable, let me tell you. Yeah. My, I mean, my master's degree is in digital media, and uh, my, the worst thing, the thing that I hate the most is editing, yeah. editing audio. Um, but I love my podcast, so it's okay. Uh, I was editing my podcast, and I had the the first draft of it done, and my wife was listening to it. And uh, we were talking about Dark Angels at that time. And my wife, I was in another room, and she was listening to it. Because what I do is I'll, I'll download the first draft and and I listen to it so much because I have to cut and I have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sure. I give it to her and then she listens through it again and say, okay, you missed something or, you know, you need to fix this or tighten that or whatever the case may be, right? So she was doing that. So I went to go get a cup of tea. She's listening to it and she says, 
you need to come in here now. And and I came in and she says, did you hear this when you were talking to, to Laura? And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. And we backed it up and I played it again. She played it again. And this is in the editing suite, so it's not been rendered down yet. So it's raw audio. And in that raw audio, you can hear a growl, Ooh. a huge growl in the background. And at the same time that that was taking place, Laura and I had uh, communication issues. There was a section, a section of uh, the the uh, audio that was not we could not hear each other, and it we got scratchy and icky and nasty, and then it popped back on. Oof. So, yeah, it was pretty. That's creepy. trippy. Yeah. Oh man. My wife goes, "Did you know there was something in the room with you?" It's like, do you think if I'd have known something was in the room with me? <laughs> it was. Oh, it was. I'll have to send you the clip. I we, absolutely. Yeah. It, when you when I had to render it down, it disappeared. But the raw audio, I still have it, so I'll I'll uh, I'll send you the clip so you can kind of hear. You got to you have to Absolutely. listen, what you can hear in the background. It's pretty crazy. Oh, so oh, that's I wholeheartedly believe in uh, dark angels, and I believe in I believe in shadow people. It <laughs> they walk among us, and and they are here, just like well, some of your other episodes that you've got. Not only about the dark people that walk among us, you talk about aliens that walk among us, and yeah, and um. Uh, well, not really lizard people, but reptilian type people, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's it's funny you should mention that because there's a connection even there with shadow people and with sleep paralysis. Because uh, I've had conversations with people who've had alien encounters, um, and after analyzing it, it's as someone who's experienced sleep paralysis, it's obvious that that's sleep paralysis. And then there's other instances where it's obviously not. And in the case of of lizard people. Uh, one of the things I, I commented on in, in one of our lizard people episodes is that lizards and especially anthropomorphic lizards, lizard people, if you look at it from a cultural perspective, they haven't been perceived as negative until like the 20th century. They weren't seen as, as dark and scary figures. And so what would cause something like that to change in the 20th century? Well, as we've we've adapted more to really, really, really urban living, and it's become more important to sort of have that that uh, what what I think fundamentally is is sort of the, the Christian concept of an unconditional love for strangers, for people that you don't know. Well, what's the polar opposite of that? What's the polar opposite of uh, unconditional love? And that would be unconditional apathy. It wouldn't really be unconditional hate. And so. The polar opposite, the Jungian shadow of sort of the human mind with its capacity to love is a reptile mind with its capacity only for survival. So I think the idea of lizards being negative uh, in the 20th century stems from that idea, because if, if we look historically, you know, there's all these stories about reptile people. And yet they're not reptile brained at all. They're not they're not the cold blooded Mark Zuckerberg type. Uh, stories that you hear. Instead, they're they're very benevolent. So there's a weird parallel there. So when you say reptile people, do you kind of help me understand what that means? Sure. Yeah. There's there's two perspectives on it. Well, actually, three. There's the the Ikean view, and that's the more modern uh, conspiracy theory view, which is that there are uh, reptile reptile uh, human beings which are capable of assuming the shape of a person perfectly and only uh, reveal themselves sometimes by accident through what looks suspiciously like just uh, JPEG artifacts, <laughs> um, and that they actually control the world, and that a lot of the these elite families that, that you see who've been wealthy for centuries are in fact reptiles uh, from another world or sometimes from beneath the world, and that's if you ascribe to hollow earth theory. But they look like us and they act like us in public, and then they secretly run things. That's the, the theory. Yeah, there's another individual that um, my wife and I also, we watch a lot of documentaries. I like to <laughs> educate myself in regard to uh, many things, and one of them is watching documentaries. And there, this particular one, this individual uh, believes in the alien life, 
and he believes in the positive and the negative side. So the, there are positive beings from from the other worlds that come to visit us, and they are here to help and nurture us and deliver opportunity for us to expand our knowledge and to like where the iPhone comes when you stop and think about the fact that the iPhone that I'm holding in my hand is like a thousand times more powerful in my hand than what landed on the moon. Yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? You know, it's just amazing that it can do it in the artificial intelligence that's taken over our, our lives basically um, that we've have learned to live with and, and at times to, to not live without like yeah. even with Siri and Google and and so forth, it's so much easier just to kind of reach out and, and ask. And yeah, you know, his theory is that some of this technology has been handed down to us from wisdom from other beings from other worlds. Interesting. And that's how we've evolved into that. And at the same time, he also comes up with the theory that the negative side actually, which is ironic that you guys talk about this and what you just said, are the reptilian side. And yeah. he calls reptilian. And he said, those are the negative side. They have no emotions. They have no empathy. They have no compassion. They don't really care about anybody or anything other than themselves and what they get out of this life and off this earth. Right. And that's that's how he defines it. Yeah, uh, that's 100% the Ikean view. Yeah, named after David Ike. Yeah, you know, and it really, I mean, you, it, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist of any type to kind of really logically take a look at that and see how it fits into place. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of one of those, um, like a puzzle piece, I guess. Mm. It just is the way that it comes about. Right. Well, as I said earlier, you guys reached your 100th episode. Do you have any favorites? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and it's it's hard to, to, you know, completely pick a favorite, but, I mean, some are obviously more fun than others. Um, and I think that one of my favorites, it's odd, all three of us really like the cryptid episodes the most. Um, and generally speaking, the ones where we talk about cryptids are are easily my favorite. There's something really fun about researching an animal that may or may not exist. I mean, I love I love biology and I love uh, researching animals anyway. So researching one that's hypothetical, <laughs> it's way more fun. So how do you how do you define cryptid? Uh, I would define a cryptid as any kind of organism, and it has to be an organism, that uh, doesn't fit in with modern scientific view. So, for example, a, a Brachiosaurus is an animal. It's a dinosaur. We know that you know they existed. Whereas Nessie, who fits a lot of the same uh, physiology, is a cryptid because it's not practical to claim that there's a dinosaur in a small Scottish lake. So that's what makes it a cryptid is the fact that, I mean, it comes from the word crypto meaning unknown. And that's, that's the thing. It's a mysterious organism. Sort of like the, was it with the Kukadabra? Kupa? Chupacabra. Yeah. That's one of my Chupacabra? favorite cryptids. Yeah. Yeah. Chupacabra yeah. is a very unique cryptid too. Um, but it's also, I think the fun thing about cryptids is they're also very plausible. I mean, uh, in the late uh, 19th century, there was a cryptid that people just, you know, when we talk about this in the podcast, there's a cryptid that people thought was absolutely ridiculous. This idea of something with a carnivore's body that's an herbivore that nobody ever seems to see except the occasional drunk uh, bamboo cutter. Uh, and, you know, now we see them in zoos everywhere. In fact, the symbol for the World Wildlife Fund is a panda. But a panda was a cryptid. It was a mythological creature that only the occasional uh, presumed lunatic came in across. Wow. So, yeah, and that, that has absolutely happened in the past, too. When people started catching coelacanths off the, the Bay Area, people said, oh, no, that, that's not possible. They've been extinct for a long time. And then finally, somebody caught one and sent it to a scientist. I was like, oh, okay, never mind. Coelacanths are still real. Uh, mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Do you believe it? Would you consider a dragon the oh, same thing? That's interesting. Is a dragon a cryptid? That's almost, that's like a brain buster right there. That's a Supreme Court question. Um, well, that's I my would, suggestion for an episode for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, see, we've, we've talked about dragons, but never in the context of like a biological organism. We usually talk about them just purely as a mythological concept because dragons represent chaos in, in every culture. That's what they mean. They're primordial chaos. They're the opposite of what human beings have sought to make civilization in order uh, since we 
first learned uh, you know to do anything more complex than throwing a rock at a at a gazelle and uh the idea of one being biological though that's really interesting I, I like the idea i suppose if if you posit that they could biologically exist then absolutely they're cryptid well that's i think that's a good idea yeah no absolutely it. it's going in the vase it's going in the vase <laughs> I, i'm going to trust that you'll write that down for me cuz or i can send it to you or no, we no, just I, did. It, yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it's going in the vase so um where can somebody find you on your podcast? Where can they find you? They want to we're, listen to you. We're pretty much everywhere. We're on Spotify and Apple. Um, we have a website, 13thfloorpodcast.com. Um, we're on Patreon now, even though we're not technically up, up. We won't launch until uh, March 1st. Um, yeah, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, just anywhere you listen. Whatever you are most comfortable listening to, we're probably there. So just look for the 13th floor. Look for the little black and white stairs symbol. Uh Alex, James, and Cece. Hmm. And I'll put a link to that in our show notes uh, Thank for you. you guys as well. It's much appreciated. If somebody wanted to submit an idea or topic to your work and they reach out? Uh, the best way to submit an idea is uh, at the email, 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you could simply go to the uh, our, uh, oh man, website, 13thfloorpodcast.com. Uh, I got tripped up because they sound almost the same. And I was like, that can't be right. Um, go to the website. There's actually a little uh, menu item called Feed the Vase, and you can submit a topic there too. Oh, that's cool. We can do that. This is one more thing before you go. So do you have any words of wisdom or something that somebody you think somebody should know prior to us ending this program? Every single person you meet has something really wonderful to teach you. That's, that's profound. It. Yeah, oh, that's you. profound, actually. Is there anything else that um, we may have missed? I don't think so. This was really great and fun, though. I'll tell you that. Well, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey with me and oh, with my listeners. And I think that you know, you've created a wonderful outlet for people to uh, explore a journey of the unique. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've never done our, our ending as a guest before, but so that, that'll be the other last thing to say is uh, keep it strange. <laughs> That's how we end every episode. Yeah. Well, on this one, we'll say one more thing before you go. Keep yeah. it straight. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.